0: Today on CityCast Boise, it's TV season. Our number one pick right now is Netflix's All the Light We Cannot See. The show's based on local author Anthony Doerr's Pulitzer Prize-winning novel. About a year ago, Tony came on the podcast to talk about his more recent book, Cloud Cuckoo Land, and why he still picks Boise over Paris. It's Tuesday, January 9th. I'm Frankie Barnhill, and this is what Boise's talking about. Thank you so much for being here this is so exciting to have you on citycast boise we really appreciate your time oh i'm
1: so stoked to be here frankie thank you so much <laughs> your invitation helped me learn about the podcast and i've been listening ever since i've learned a bunch from stuff about lawns to stuff about preserving the sawtooths so it's a real treat to get to be a part of it
0: oh well we're so flattered so for people who haven't read Cloud Cuckoo Land, I'm going to try to just do a quick little, uh, a few things that people need to know, which includes, of course, that there are these three different timelines, three different locations, perspectives from, I think it's five characters in total. You know, one of the timelines and one of the locations is 15th century Constantinople. There's a future spaceship of some kind, and then Idaho in present day. So why bring Idaho into this particular novel? Why did you decide that?
1: Uh, thanks, Frankie. Good job describing this novel <laughs> as a handful, for sure. It's
0: a lot, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, I started the novel with just two characters in the 15th century, Constantinople. These walls around Constantinople stood for 1,100 years, and they withstood 23 sieges. There's people with elephants coming to try to siege the city. And you know, while these manuscripts of all these old Greek and Roman manuscripts are deteriorating in North Africa and all around Europe, they're preserved inside the libraries, the Imperial Library, the Monarchies libraries and private libraries inside the walls of Constantinople. And so I'm trying to tell a story about the preservation of texts and stories. And I've got a character inside the walls in the Byzantine Empire named Anna, this boy named Omir outside the walls. And I'm just working back and forth between the two. And I'm thinking about the 15th century. It's this time of this amazing confluence of technologies. Gunpowder is arriving on the scene and being adopted in Europe. And that's enabling people to knock down these old technologies of walls. Yeah. The printing press is like about to show up and blow everybody's minds because suddenly books won't just be for super rich people. So there's this crazy acceleration brought on by new technologies. As I started to think about how could I tell a story in which you know I show how the stewardship of this one old book ricochets down through time, I thought, I've got to choose another time. I've got to choose a time when Anna and Omir are long dead mm. and show this book enter the lives of somebody else, somebody else for whom this, this text, this little book will be really important. And what other time, I thought, is this intersection of new technologies really disrupting everything? And I thought, you know, Trump was a president. There's like, you know, Twitter is suddenly so powerful. I'm like, it's now. It's now. And then the pandemic comes in right in the <laughs> middle while I'm working on this thing. And I thought, you know, I'm going to set this in Idaho in a place where growth is really challenging our ideas about stewardship. Because, you know, why do we have any, those of us who have been here a little longer? Why do we have any more right to live in these mountains than somebody who just moves here this year? And so I invent two characters that live in the present day, Zeno and uh, this boy Seymour, who's really attached to the forest behind his house and try to start asking questions about the disruption that new technologies can bring in the present day as well
0: yeah wow and i mean it is it's this just expansive story i mean there's just no other way to put it across all these yeah different timelines places and then idaho just really centers it i mean for being idaho readers of course we really loved that you were talking about a place that probably you know it's a fictional town but it's like mccall right that's kind of was the the place that you were mimicking it after
1: yeah, yeah. I named the town Lakeport, which was a, an original idea for the name of McCall. Uh, but there's probably like 5% Coeur d'Alene and 8% sure. Ketchum in there. Yeah. of course, yeah. it's an invented place. You know, the library in McCall was very much kind of a prototype for this library, this little humble rural library that plays a big, important role in the novel. I've got this grand virtual library. In the future, I've got these old libraries that are crumbling away in Constantinople. And I really wanted to remind a reader of the power of this tiny v- rural library, what these libraries mean to people, you know, a library doesn't have to look ultra grand on the outside to play this really important community role.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I definitely want to talk more about libraries, a lot more about libraries, because one of the things, your, your dedication, I'll read it, is for the librarians then now and in the years to come, I mean, just this dedication, it seems so incredibly important and applicable Right in this moment, I know that you wrote this novel well, a few years ago, but now we're in this middle of this debate about books and banning and ideas that, you know, are problematic in some way. What does this mean to you to have this book out there now while this conversation is going on right here in Boise?
1: I I think what I really wanted to do is pay homage to libraries because I took them for granted. Often I try to use my work as a way to remind myself of all the things that habit has made kind of invisible to me. Mm. And uh, growing up, my mom was a science teacher. I had two older brothers. She used the library as kind of a third place for us to drop us off after school while she would grade papers or try to get some groceries. And the library is really our third home. And Uh, As the youngest, I just kind of got to roam around and take out whatever books I wanted to. And sometimes the books were maybe a little, quote, unquote, too advanced for me, or there'd be sex in them or something. But (laughs) I didn't, you know, I wasn't ready for that, but that's okay. Like, it was so exciting to be able to learn to take public property home to your private home and learn to take care of it. And, you know, if you spill a little chocolate milk on it, you feel terrible, but you learn that, like, you know, you learn a little civic spirit and... Bringing those things back, you know, there's something about like, oh, my gosh, I missed my return in date. I'm in (laughs) trouble. There's something so sweet about that. The idea that you can go study the work of the masters, take it home for free, participate in sharing something with the rest of the community. Those are all really important lessons, and I took them all for granted. I just assumed Mm. that everybody in the world had access to this stuff, that libraries had existed since the beginning of time, of course. And it's only now, you know, into my adulthood that I've realized it's people that keep the lights on in these places. It's people that grow the collections and protect the collections and that they are stewarding human wisdom through time without editorial judgment. They're just allowing access to information. And of course, now at the internet, libraries play so many important, vital roles in terms of, you know, you need the internet to apply for jobs. You need the internet to interact with the government in many right. ways. And and in places where it gets cold, like Boise, used to. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you you need to enter these places to stay warm. They're the last mm. public space you can go without buying a $6 latte and use the bathroom and be inside. And lo and behold, you might improve yourself while you're in there. There's so many different ways the libraries support our communities. And I wanted to try to... Remind the reader and remind myself that these are fragile places that need to be protected along the way. And of course, this current debate is an age-old debate. It's a really effective way to get attention for yourself by attacking a book. So, um, in some ways, I worry about the, you know, the attention some of these quote-unquote book bans are getting because. You know, it's like maybe we're publicizing things, you know, giving people attention for bad behavior when we don't really need to shine a spotlight on them at all.
0: Oh, gosh. I mean, yeah, I think about that all the time as someone who's in the media and as a journalist and like, oh, when do I need to tell people about this? And when am I just, you know, feeding the the flame of this group that, you know, really is acting in bad faith? It's a tough, it's a tough call. <laughs> and I've probably made mistakes in the past. How does it feel to be a writer right now uh, with all these attacks on ideas and books what does that feel like
1: it's a, an immense privilege to be a writer with readers pressure is privilege or i think that's what billy jean king said there's something you know, amazing <laughs> line i think it was even the name of one of her books so I, I tried when i would start to get quite anxious to be like you know especially when trump was challenging the results of the election and i was trying to finish this novel um, you know, it's like, wow, all these institutions that I took for granted as a kid, especially American democracy, are under in danger right now and under threat. And that said, it's very hard for me to sit down and say, like, now I will do something important. <laughs> Writing for me is play. And I need to get myself in a playful, non-anxious state to be able to create. So often um, it's a, just a trick of putting on headphones and just blocking out the internet and trying to work. A a novel is not a place to break news. A novel is a place to think long-term about things and ask questions, not to answer questions. Uh, So often, if I get too mired down in the moment-by-moment, needle-flipping, oscillating thing that is contemporary news, Uh, I find it's really paralyzing as an artist. So often I'm trying to say, you know, not so much what does it feel like as a writer in this moment, as much as how do I just ask questions about what it means to be here for this incredibly brief moment that we get to be here. Even if we're here for 80 years, it's such a finger snap in the geologic and human history of our planet. Um, And just ask questions, you know, what does that mean? How, How do we experience beauty how could we be kinder to each other what What are connections across time and space mm-hmm. um, and th- th- that can usually start to soothe some of my anxiety about you know when you look at your phone and there's another alert about some big story,
0: yeah, yeah, so uh notifications off, headphones on, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yep, yep. With the success you know that you've had, obviously, especially with uh, all the light we cannot see, your your Pulitzer Prize winning novel, of course, you become really widely known and in demand. You're traveling all around the world. You're talking with all kinds of important people. You're being interviewed by journalists everywhere, and yet you live right here in our comfortable small town kind of vibe, Boise, Idaho. Does it ever feel like you kind of have, you know, feet in two worlds where you're living in this very big macro global world and perspective, and then you're right down here in Boise and you're, you know, going to the library and you're going to your favorite brewery and you're hanging out and down. What is that like?
1: (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's nice when you put it like that, but it's just <laughs> like my life. You know, we live here. We, You know, our kids just graduated from Boise High in May. And, uh, you know, it was it was just an incredible place to raise kids, especially in the new wild west of smartphones where, as everybody listening to this knows, you can drive 35 minutes and suddenly their phones don't work. And you can actually still raise kids in a way that they have to look you in the eye and, uh, you know, throw rocks in the river. And that was the best gift this place ever gave us, is that connection with place. Um, And it still gives me that. Yes, I get to meet some really interesting people, but I'm still just grinding. Like, I'm just working on sentences every day. And (laughs) you know, you don't want tons of distraction and you definitely don't want any ego getting in the mix of any of that stuff. So Boise is the perfect place for me to do that. You know, when I go out with my friends, we don't talk about who's long listed for the National Book Awards. You know, there's not a competitive vibe. We're just talking about like, will Boise State fire their coach or whatever? You know, It's just a,
0: <laughs> the it's age just old a, question, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> uh, or, you know, what fly is working on this street right now? and yeah. that That is such a gift. You know, we're so blessed to be able to share this space with as few people as we can. So sometimes I think all the travel that's been introduced in my life helps me remember what a special place this is. You know, you can go around the world and still never find places as special as the middle fork of the salmon or uh, copper basin or some parts of the white clouds. So I'm so grateful that we get to be here.
0: Yeah. Your kids are in college now, um, so, you know, you don't have the anchor of them in high school. Do you see yourself staying in Boise for the long haul?
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, my wife, Shauna, grew up here and her parents are here. And, uh, you know, we still have tons of friends here. And as you get older, as everybody listening knows, it's a little harder to just start your friendships all over again. Uh, sometimes, you know, you get tempted, you get into a city and you're like, oh, the energy here is so exciting. You know, it's just in Paris and the food in Paris and the bakeries. And, you know, now they have this Oh, there's so many great bike lanes there. So I'm riding this e-bike all over the place. I'm like, oh, this is how a city could be. Uh, <laughs> but when you come back here, you're like, it's quiet. Like, ah, oh, this quiet is so nice.
0: Thank you so much. This has been amazing. This has been such a fun conversation. And yeah, really love talking to you about Boise, but also about writing and about just what it's like to be an author today in, in Boise, Idaho. This is really cool.
1: Well, thanks so much, Frankie. And keep up the great work.
0: OK, that's all for today here on CityCast Boise. Do you need more inspo for what to do this month besides watch all the light? Check out our website, boise.citycast.fm, for our complete January guide. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more local stories. See you then.